Cold Stove Podcast. We are back on a Friday. Stanley Cup Finals edition. Myself, NRD, and special guest, the lovely, the one and only, live from his hotel room in Denver, Colorado, Pete Blackburn. Pete, thank you for joining the Cold Stove Podcast today. How are you? I'm quite hungover today, but uh, <laughs> happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, were you? Uh, would you go Blake Street last night? Is that kind of how it works? I don't even know where I was last night. Uh, there's like a Dirk's Bentley bar that the NHL had like a media party. It was an open bar. The Celtics lost. So I was drinking away my sorrows and mm-hmm. uh, just probably had like 14 too many drinks. That's yeah, You know what? Well within your rights because the Celtics game last night, it, it never got close enough, Pete. It was kind of just one of those games that we were waiting for some like waiting for somebody to go on a run and it just never happened. Yeah. I mean, like they were, they were, it seemed like it was like maybe happening in the fourth quarter where they put together a nice little run, but like they didn't play defense, which is exactly what the Celtics like their MO is. And so like, as soon as they, like they were, they were hitting shots and hitting threes and then giving them up the other way. I was like, okay, this isn't going to happen. Very cool. I'll just enjoy this open bar. <laughs> Pack it in. Uh, to me, championships are diminished when they're won on the road. Yeah, it sucks. It really sucks. And uh, I know a couple of my buddies were at the game yesterday and I was like, oh man, that I, I mean, I, I was there when the blues won uh, game seven at TD garden and that was like the worst day of my life. So uh <laughs> hate, hate to see it for, uh, for anybody who spent like a ton of money to be at game six. It's tough. It's tough. Speaking of uh, speaking of the garden, we'll switch to hockey here. Cause that's what we do here on cold stove podcast. The Bruins are without their former coach, uh, Mr. Cassidy, who's now the member of the Vegas Golden Knights, Pete. Did you see that one coming? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't. But uh, it from, you know, I, I think that Bruce Cassidy was the fall guy for sure. Um, and the front office, I've grown tired of Don Sweeney, I will say. Um, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I've grown tired. And I think a lot of Bruins fans have too. But I will say, uh, I think their their hand was a little bit forced uh, because uh, from what I've heard, Bruce Cassidy was not well liked in that room, and uh, and I, I firing Bruce Cassidy was a measure that they didn't want to take initially. But then after the exit interviews, they were like, "Okay, this is a thing that might need to happen in order for us to extend our window," because. Uh, I don't think that Patrice Bergeron would have come back or it would have hurt their chances of bringing Patrice Bergeron back if Bruce Cassie was still the coach. So that's where Sweeney says it's a hey, Bruce. It's not about you as much as it, it's, it's about the team that we have going forward. And, and in order to make it work with what we've got uh, with our window, we got to go another direction. So I'm not asking you to break any news here, Pete. We've heard names. There's the David Quinn's out there. There's Mr. Leach. There's uh, I heard a Nate Lehman, even though he re-upped to Providence. Mm-hmm. Name aside, what kind of coach does this Bruins team need, in your opinion, with what they have on the roster as far as their window goes? A players like, coach. Young, I mean, young they're young they're looking for they're looking for a players coach. They want. Uh, I think they're going to go younger. Um, Jay Leach is probably like the leader in the clubhouse right now. Uh, I don't think Lehman's going to happen. Lehman would be my pick, uh, but I, I, you know, the fact that he signed an extension in Providence like weeks ago uh, probably indicates that he's not going to be the the Bruins guy. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's. I, I don't. I don't like Quinn. Uh, I don't think Quinn's going to happen. I don't think Quinn is a player's coach. 
I think he lost the room in New York, and uh, I, I think it's probably going to be Leach. What's the famous Quinn story? Like he's not allowing the guys to have beers on, the, on bus the bus. Yeah, like towards the end of his tenure in New York, there was a couple of players anonymous, so they kind of came out and were talking to people and saying basically he ran that thing like a college show, but not not a over twenty one college show. It was tough on guys like Zabanajet and Kreider. Towards for the end. what from what I've heard in the New York locker room, he was in the room. Players would call him a uh, a college coach. Which, that's tough. To, that's tough. That's to not out. good. That's tough. <laughs> yeah. It's tough, man. I I know like the BU connection and stuff, but like if you're looking for a player's coach, it's probably not going with a guy that was literally called college coach in an NHL locker room. Not, not a what great you're sign. for. Um, NRD on the coaching front. Let's button up a story we had from Wednesday. Now John Tortorella officially the Philadelphia Flyers coach. A lot of Twitter interaction here. A lot of. Uh, Fletcher, Torts, some ownership things. Anything you want to button up uh, on the end of this Philadelphia Flyers story before we head into the weekend? Yeah, just tie up loose ends based on what's out there and the stories that have been told since then. There's going to be more that's shared through many people, you know, in the coming days. The the issue was never the search firm that was hired by Dave Scott and the Flyers and Comcast Spectacor and all that, you know, ownership to lead this coaching search. The issue was never the the firm. The issue was that you bring in the firm, you have the influence of the veteran or not veteran, but the legends of the team, if you will, Paul Holmgren, Bobby Clark there. They have a lot of pulling power among among Dave Scott in that front office. And when it came down to Trotz being the guy, Trotz says no, they move on to John Tortorella. You got guys like Clark, Holmgren, the search firm, Dave Scott, all really like Tortorella. They think he could come in and change the culture of that team. Chuck Fletcher, not the biggest fan of Tortorella. Not saying he hated him outright, but maybe he was his third or fourth choice after Trotz. And there's just a little bit of dissension and friction in that front office when you have your general manager and Chuck Fletcher, who was tasked to bring this team back to that contention level, and he really hasn't in the last two years. And now you're not even letting him have the number one say in that coaching search. And yeah, Chuck Fletcher's going to come out like he did yesterday and say that report's BS, and I'm going to stand by what I've said and what others have said too, and they stand by their reports as well. I don't have to do that for them. But there is definitely friction in that front office. I'm really interested to see how it goes, but I just wanted to clear up the story being the issue wasn't the search firm. That happens all the time in the NBA, in the NFL, in the NHL now. The firm that represented um, the Flyers in this also represents the Anaheim Ducks and another franchise as well in the National Hockey League. So the issue is more so that Chuck Fletcher seems to be losing his grip on, on the control he has in that front office in Philadelphia. With a guy like Danny Briere waiting in the wings, it's more so when than if, I, in my opinion. Interesting stuff. Um, Pete and NRD, before we get off coaching, what do you think of my uh, idea, Pete, that Patrick Waugh should be the next coach of the Detroit Red Wings? That's that's a take. Uh, <laughs> I, Patrick Waugh has, uh, I think, not – not done himself any favors, and I think that if you're hiring uh, a a coach, it, you probably don't want a wild card like <laughs> Patrick Waugh. Uh, I think that he kind of like he's he's a guy who flies too close to the sun, burns too bright, uh, and I don't see him being a Stevie Y guy. I guess. Well, then let me let me pivot on you and go with the the Vegas favorited for the next Detroit Red Wings head coach Sergey Fedorov. Have you seen this? I have not, but that would be it. That would be awesome. He is, he is the offshore. 
He's yeah. the offshore book leader in the clubhouse to coach the Red Wings. I love it. I didn't. I was unaware of how much actual coaching experience he had. Right, like with with Russia, he's been an assistant over there and and whatnot. And it just if Stevie Y doesn't strike me as like a make a splash kind of guy, but that certainly makes a splash in that locker room. It, it would, and it'd, it'd be interesting as hell. And I also would trust Stevie Y with my life, which is why I don't think that he's going to hire Patrick Y. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, we seem to to be of the of the thought that Stevie Y is going to make moves after maybe Tampa is is done wrapping up whatever Stanley Cup hopes they have, whether they win or not, because there's some people on that staff of John Cooper's that may make some sense uh, for not only the Detroit Red Wings, but they'll get looks kind of around the league as well. Um, one thing I'll add is Mike Pekka's phone keeps ringing in RD. Oh, he over does there, over there in Rochester. Maybe not for a head coaching gig, but. He's getting uh, he's getting some calls, which I like. Same with Gianta, which is kind of fun. New York Islanders legend Mike Pekka. There you go. Uh, let's trade. Look, the news that broke yesterday: Shea Weber, your newest member of the Las Vegas Golden Knights. I know when people people love when I say that. Um, taking his cap hit and putting it on LTIR for for Vegas. Evgeny Dadnov going the other way. The former almost. Anaheim Duck. Pete, did you see Anaheim's uh, Twitter say, are you sure about that? <laughs> I did. That was a great tweet. Good for them. Uh, before before we move on, I, I, I will say in the Bruins coaching search, uh, do not count out Mark Savard. I don't know oh. if I don't know if I love that, but uh, don't count him out. With what the is Spitfires, right? Yeah, yeah, I think he's with the Windsor. He was coaching the Spitfires. They lost in seven in the OHL Cup, so he's He's an interesting name, and he's a team legend too. So, March Savard, Bruins legend. Um, yeah, it, good for for Vegas getting rid of uh, some cap space. You know, they have obviously have a lot going on there between them and Minnesota. And they love collecting former Montreal captains. They're obsessed with it. They can't stop. Yeah, they can't right. stop. Um, we had a uh, we were talking Wednesday, Pete. Do you agree, or maybe can you buy into the hype that? Max Pacioretty may not be long for Vegas. Uh, it's it's possible. I mean, like Vegas is such a wild card too that like they'll do anything, and they're just like a, such a cutthroat organization uh, that like you know you can't you can't take anything off the table for Vegas, and uh, they obviously have to create some flexibility. Um, so you know anything's on the table, I could see it for sure. I think they gave themselves with this trade an opportunity to you can trade a guy like Pacioretty and rip the band-aid off completely, or you have some LTIR money now right. to do it a little bit more methodically. I think they just gained another option by acquiring Rubber's contract. But, you know, like Brett said, we discussed this on Wednesday. I wouldn't be surprised to see Vegas do something like that and just rip off the band-aid completely for what you said, Pete, that they're just a cutthroat yeah. organization and they will really do whatever they have to do. Yeah, but, and and I mean I props to uh, to Jeff Gordon. I mean, getting rid of the, the, the Weber contract that cleanly without having to give up assets is fucking incredible. So, uh, good for him. Uh, I think that's Jeff Gordon is, is one of like the best GMs and, and execs in the league. So I know he's not technically a GM, but, uh, I mean, he's, he's the guy pulling the strings and just one of like that, that kind of move is the, the shit that, puts you in an upper echelon to get rid of that contract so cleanly it, without having to give up assets is outstanding. It's well done. Um, it, and staying in Montreal there, does that give you more faith in Marty St. Louis maybe than for uh, 
maybe not a, a playoff bounce back, but a, a year where they show that, hey, we don't need to tear this whole thing down to the studs of Montreal. Yeah, I mean, Marty St. Louis was like such a out of nowhere hire. And I mean, for the work that he did with a pretty, pretty crappy team last year, uh, I thought for sure he would be back. And so uh, I have faith in him moving forward. Uh, I think that he's a guy that's really well respected and well liked in the room. And so, um, you know, when you've got a, I don't know if like he's going to be the guy long haul, but I think he's the guy for this team. Uh, you know, when you've got a changing of direction, you want a guy who meshes with sort of younger players and can get the most out of like a Cole Caulfield. And clearly he did that in the latter half of last year. So, you know, again, I don't know if he's, I think the jury is still out on how good of a coach he is, but I think he is the right coach for that team. That makes a ton of sense. That's the, uh, the new Canaan, Connecticut, Golden Triangle uh, coaching search that happened there. Where all I think Hughes, St. Louis, and uh, Gordon all had sort of ties to maybe a, a round of golf or something like that. Um, report came out that Bill Haslam, former senator from New Hampshire, is uh, looking to buy the Nashville Predators, Pete and NRD. Sportico has them valued at $680 million dollars with the average NHL franchise being valued at just over $900 million. Does ownership, uh, ownership news or financial news perk any, of your, uh, perk any of your ears up, or is this kind of just like, yeah, this happens? It's The only thing I'm interested in to see the value of the organization, because sometimes the terms are disclosed, sometimes they're undisclosed, just gives you a good idea of where the league is headed in terms of assets and what the league is worth. I know Batman comes out before the Stanley Cup final and says that we had a record year of revenue. It's interesting to see how much certain teams are valued at. Nashville's been a strong market for the NHL, and they usually sell out Bridgestone there. Um, 680 may seem low, but then you have to consider it is Nashville. And yes, it's been a good market for the league, but it is Nashville and it is hockey. So good for the Preds, good for Haslam. Wasn't really any rumors or any rumblings out there that Nashville was for sale. So interested to see what he does. I think it's noteworthy just because I believe uh, David Poyle is the longest tenured GM in the league. And uh, I would say, speaking generously, he hasn't been very good at his job for like the past several years. So, you know, I, I wonder if maybe like his job security is now threatened by new leadership uh, and so, like, that's that's something to keep an eye out for. He did go to the best college in the country, however. Um, Which one is that? Just to the Northeastern Huskies. Ah, okay. I forgot you were a Northeastern guy. Did uh, potentially, we talked about this on Wednesday, could his job security be, oh, I don't know, threatened by Barry Trotz buying a house in Nashville, Pete? I don't know. That's a good, it's a nice little, uh, nice little nugget to snack on there. Makes you think. Makes you think. I, I was interested, the house that, Barry Trotz, um, excuse me, the couple that he bought the house from, I think they paid like 340 grand a couple, like five or six years ago. Barry Trotz bought it for 1.5 this year. Nice little return on investment for for that couple. Good for them. A little golf clap for that couple. I can imagine Barry Trotz going like, whatever 30 offers are on the table, just here's 200 more grand and we're waiving any, uh, you know, house feed or whatever whatever it's called house no closing costs no closing, no closing costs, costs for, for barry trotz uh, my hot take on barry trotz is i don't know if he, he takes a coaching job this i don't this, uh, this summer think so either it's a good take i mean we had discussed this on the show for the past couple of weeks now 
it's not about – I mean, every team has met with Barry Trotz at this point and has thrown money at him. Philly was going to make him the highest yeah. paid coach in the league. It's, I know for a fact he's turned down several offers already. He, he's turned so. down Vegas. He's turned down Philly. Um, who knows what happened with a couple of the other jobs that he met with. Winnipeg, I think the thing with Winnipeg was I think the the fans overplayed the whole going home to Manitoba thing more than the organization and Barry Trotz both felt. I think they were all in on Trotz. I don't think Trotz was ever all in on going up to Winnipeg, knowing the area and being like, hey, I got to relocate from Nashville or Virginia or the island all the way up to Manitoba at this point in my career. So I agree with you, Pete. I don't, I would probably, if I was a betting man, which I am, I would bet that he does not coach in 2022-2023. I have to to issue a massive correction, by the way. Bill Haslam was the former Tennessee governor, governor. not New Hampshire yeah. uh, senator. So I don't, I don't even know where I got that. <laughs> I um, mean, you're in like the right uh, general po- political sphere, but wow, what a whiff! I don't even think it's that close, Pete. That was just all time. New Hampshire senator buys the Nashville Predators. I don't, I, I don't know where my brain was at. I, I apologize for those out there screaming at their dial. Like, what are you talking about? I don't know how many people listen to a hockey podcast and are like aware of the <laughs> New Hampshire senator uh, sort of knowledge thing where like they're like, ah, he's wrong. He's wrong. <laughs> Some guy's driving up 93 to the White Mountains. He's like, ah, it's motherfucker. It's motherfucker. Brett's a fucking idiot. <laughs> fucking moron. <laughs> um, a team that should be for sale and perpetually is not for sale uh, are the Arizona soon to be Austin Coyotes in, a, in an ideal world. Pete, um, we were talking before the podcast. You're actually excited for playing in the less than junior sized hockey rank for the next couple of years for the Arizona Coyotes. You said you cannot wait to see a game. Yeah, you, I'm going to uh, go for you, sure. I mean, like, how can you turn down the experience of watching an NHL team in a building that houses like 5,000 people? <laughs> it's not, it's not an everyday kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing for the league and it's embarrassing for the coyotes. But uh, as a person who loves weird shit and chaos, like I'm absolutely down for that. NRD, are you also going to attend the Austin or the Arizona coyotes clown show? I will make my best efforts to leave my spot under Bettman's desk. Hopefully he uh, unclips the leash and I get out to a game in Arizona to see that because that is like, like you both said, that's something different. It is uh, exciting. They have something going for them, obviously being like on Arizona State's campus. I feel like that's going to be attractive, pun intended, for a couple of the younger players on the team. But, uh, but man, is that going to be a shit show. Like, how do you, do you even have room to put NHL-grade cameras in that facility? Or is it going to be like the AHL camera that you can see it sticking to the tripod as they move across the ice? Um, I don't know. I, I, it's embarrassing. It's, it's tough because they don't actually know if this Tempe – big time arena deal is going to go through. And so maybe it all ends up being, it's going to happen anywhere where they leave. But, you know, we, we give the coyotes a lot of shit. We give the NHL a lot of shit for the coyotes. I do think there's a lot of good people and people, people DM me. They're like, Hey man, I've been a coyotes fan for 25 years. There is a community here. There are people that do great work. Like Craig Morgan does awesome work out there in the desert. So let me, let me throw the coyotes a bone. I hope it works out for you guys. I'm obviously biased in that. Austin would be a, a great market for a team like that. Um, I mean, the Coyotes helped produce the greatest American player of all time. 
in Austin Matthews. And I, I don't say that lightly as a person yeah. that loves to shit on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like mm-hmm. if the Coyotes didn't exist in Arizona, I don't know if we get Austin Matthews. Like he grew up in Arizona, obviously like was a Coyotes fan. And, you know, I, I think that they deserve some credit. I mean, it's, it's something. It's yeah. a, it's a good point. And, and it's a point that we had shared on this show going back a few months that, like, I almost wish that Bettman and Bill Daly would be more upfront and hit it from that angle and say, this is why we want to remain in this market, because it's led to guys like Austin Matthews having that opportunity to play in the league. I wish they'd make that the pitch instead of, hey, this is a really viable organization and everybody's great in the front office. Yeah, the they're lying. They're like yeah. lying straight through their teeth. We all I'd know rather that, be like, honest. Yeah, right. be honest. I mean, number one, you help produce one of the, like, the best American player of all time. And number Ooh. two, Jeez. and number two, Number two, uh, like we know that hockey in that area fucking works. Vegas, Vegas could have flamed out so easily and they'd be like, okay, just not going to work in the desert. Uh, It clearly works. There's still like hockey is accessible to people around there. And like if the product is good, they're going to show up. And the product is just not good enough on a consistent Vegas uh, basis in Arizona. They do. I will point to the best jerseys of all time, the Kachina jerseys. Kachina jerseys. Uh, and, they, and they've had guys. They've had guys like a, like Shane Doan. Uh, you know what an ambassador for for hockey in the desert. You know Ronick. Whatever your thoughts may be on him, but still he's a he's a stud who, who rides for Arizona. Uh, Paul, you know Biz, obviously, and and yeah, and like they have got they have ambassadors. Like they yeah. they could ease. They have like. They have the infrastructure, I would say, to make it work. They just need to, uh, they just need to deliver in like the business sense, I guess. They need to vet who's buying the team a little bit harder next time. Um, is what you're trying to say, but I'll say it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't have guys going or arena leases going unpaid and taxes going on. It's just like, come on, that's the clown show kind of stuff that really frustrates me as a, a former resident of Phoenix, Arizona for a short time in my life when they were just getting going to, it was 95 to 97. I was there. So coyotes were just a, I don't even know if they were a team yet, but um, rooting for them to not move to Austin because same. I, I mean, I want them to work. I, I think that like that, that city is a decent sports market. They just have to be a team that's worth supporting. Agreed. Agreed. Let's get to the uh, the reason that Pete is in Denver. Game two of the Stanley Cup Finals is tomorrow night. The rare uh, couple nights off in a row for the boys up in Denver. Probably doing something like what Pete did last night, whether it's View House or the Coors uh, downtown Toby Keith Bar or Brad Paisley Bar, whatever country bar they might have on. Dirk Bentley, Creek. baby. Dirk Bentley. That's right. That's right. I apologize to Mr. Bentley. Um Pete, what surprised you or what was impressive about game one? And, uh, you know, the, the normal interview questions here. What was Ball Arena singing Blink-182 as loud as it seemed on Twitter? That was cool. I mean, that I don't I don't totally understand it. Uh, I haven't really looked into it. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a Blink-182 guy. So whenever, like, that comes into the forefront of a, a scene, I'm down for it. Uh, in terms of what impressed me, I, I mean, we all – I think everybody kind of was on board with Colorado's speed and skill. Uh, but really what impressed me is how much they punched Tampa in the mouth straight out of the gate. 
uh, in game one, both from, you know, like scoring, obviously, like they got off to a quick start, but they didn't turn down a single hit in, in game one. And like, for me, that was impressive because, you know, for Tampa, their key is slowing the game down and being physical. And they just weren't that team in game one. Like they got hit right in the face. Uh, Colorado was physical. They had the skill, obviously. There's the first time that I've seen Colorado in person. And that the physicality was like what jumped out to me because it's that's not their brand or not what they're typically like most known for. But in person, watching that defensive core rotate down and pinch without a shred of hesitation was fucking incredible like their their ability to hem tampa and any other team in on the zone really hinges on the ability of their defensemen to skate and it was so impressive and i think one of the guys that jumped out to me was bowen byram he's like really down the list of uh like their depth in terms of defensemen but he led them on five on five ice time and he was really good uh in in game one and i think that that bodes well and i just think that like for a guy who's who just turned 21 and was playing in his first stanley cup final game to look that good and lead the team in five on five ice time over like cal mccarr and everybody else it's a vote of confidence and i think like if if that's what you're gonna get from uh like your fifth or sixth defenseman fuck yeah like that's so good that's so that bodes so well for colorado to their two two of their best defensemen are 23 and 21. It's like, come on. And then Devon Taves, who depending on your opinion, I've seen I've seen people say, well, he's just good because he plays with McCarr. That's not I true. Think he's he, just was, he was really good in, in New York. Like that's why they went out and got him. I mean, he is probably I don't even I don't know if I can say this anymore, but like he's probably like the most underrated defenseman in the league. Close to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too. I think so too. And then you have the old men pair and, and Johnson and uh, what's his name? Josh Manson, another Northeastern Husky shouts to Huskies on this episode, but that's, Manson's that's a, a fucking beast, man. Like that's as well of a, a put together lineup defensively as there is in the league. And then, you know, we talked about Colorado speed and scoring and they, but, but they can play checkers with teams where we were talking about this on Wednesday, where some team like Tampa can out chess you any night. They can train something up. They know where where your weaknesses are. Colorado can just can freight train you as a team. They're like, you want to you want to play a physical game? Perfect. You want to play a fast game? We got you there. We want to play a defensive game? Sorry about our an unbelievable defense course. So that's why I still think Colorado and Sitch. My prediction at the uh, trade deadline, Pete, was that whoever got Arturi Lekkinen wins the Stanley Cup. He rocks. He's so good. Uh, speaking of trade deadline, like I, I think that like. Florida struck out with Ben Chirot. Like they should have, mm-hmm. they should have went out and got Josh Manson. Like they wanted bite on the blue line. They wanted toughness. Uh, Manson is an incredible addition for, for Colorado and gives him like that edge. And, you know, he's had his ups and downs through this run, but I, I think that like, that's when Colorado wins the Stanley cup, which I think they're going to a lot of people are going to look back and be like, Josh Manson was a, a really big addition, especially with Bowen Byram's like, uh, uncertainty with the the concussion issues and stuff like that. I, I think that, and I mean, they obviously lost Gerard too, and you 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 need uh, you know more guys on the back end because we know they're so good uh, offensively. I think people are going to look back and be like, Josh Manson was a huge addition for this team. 
Totally agree. Totally agree. And the NRD, let me throw the throw this to you. If you're if there's one negative anywhere on the Colorado team, it's it's in goal, and that doesn't even seem like that big of a negative, does it? No, they went into the season, you know, looking for an option in net. Nothing really developed. They rolled with Camper and Frank uh, Pavos Francos, and they've been playing really, really solid. They go back to Camper in game one. Brett and I, we both said this on Wednesday's episode. Do you make that move? Do you not? Because Francois has been playing pretty well, but Kemper's the number one guy. Seamlessly went back into the lineup. I, I, if anything, you can argue that Vasilevsky was the guy who let up the softies in that game, you know, with the first two. And they are looking like a team that they're looking like a team that's destined to win the Stanley Cup. And I'm what I'm really happy and who I'm really happy for is Jared Bednar, a coach that there had been questions, you know, going forward about, hey, he's still here, right? We're not going to ax him, but is he the guy, right? Because they've struck out the last three or four years now, despite having a great program there, that team is firing on all cylinders and they're hitting their stride at the right time. I don't, you know, hindsight's always 2020. I don't think that there's a team in the Eastern conference. If, you know, the Leafs got out of first, I don't think Colorado was going to lose in the Stanley cup final to anybody out of these. They look like the best team in the national Hockey league and they're going to get rewarded for it. Like you said, Pete in short order here in the next week or so. Yeah. yeah. I, just don't think, I don't think there's any team that can skate with Colorado and like, that's what it comes down to. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the the goaltending thing is like if Tampa has any chance in the series, Vasilevsky has to be, has to be at his best because like that's the biggest discrepancy and the biggest advantage that that Tampa has is in net. And if it goes like Game One did, uh, Kemper didn't look very good, but it didn't matter because he just like really wasn't tested. I mean, they had I, I believe eight high danger chances on Kemper the entire game. They only put twenty three shots on him, and you know they gave themselves a chance to win. I I think that's like the biggest silver lining for Tampa is that like they kind of got steamrolled in the game. The Colorado controlled the game and it still went to overtime. Like I, I think Tampa's going to be better. And so like, if you're looking for a silver lining, it's like they're going to be better than they were in game one and game one went to overtime. Uh, but Vasilevsky has to be better. And I think you have to, to test Kemper more because the, his uncertainty coming off of that concussion, uh, you just kind of you, you got to see if you know he like like I said he didn't look very good. Uh, he was shaky, and they just didn't test him enough. How did uh how did Braden Point look to you? Does he look a hundred percent, or is he kind of like playing through it still? He's not a hundred percent, and like I saw him walking through the building, and like he still has got a significant limp and is not looking not looking great off the ice. But I mean, John Cooper said it. He was like in game one you'll know my thoughts on Braden Point based on his ice time. And he led all forwards in ice time after 40 minutes. And he started started overtime on the penalty kill, like took the opening face off in overtime. Like that tells you what you need to know is that uh, he's trusted at this point based on how he played in game one. And I, I think it's to be expected. I mean, he's going to look rusty playing his first game in like a month. And he's clearly banged up, but – a 70 or 80% Braden point is probably still better than most guys on that roster. I mean, uh, he's just like the best, one of the best two way forwards in the league. So uh, if John Cooper says, you know, you'll, you'll know based on how I use him in game one, I think the indication is that he is, he's trusted at this point. And it's a good point. I take John Cooper at his word only because, you look where he started him. Mean, he was in the he was on the third line to start on the lineup sheet, and then he worked his way up into the ice time, which is the right move because Anthony Sorelli deserved the ice time that he gained with Stamkos and Kucherov. But you know, 
points a guy that's been banged up for two years now in the in the playoffs. I mean, last year was kind of the the designated hitter, if you will. He was dealing with an injury. I don't know if that injury ever came out, so I'm not going to say what I had been told it was. But he would insert insert points in the lineup every couple of games when he was ready to go and healthy. This year he missed a lot more time, but it's to the point. It's similar to like with Ryan Strom and the Rangers when he played in in Game Six. If you have a guy that you know that can contribute when he's 100%, if he's healthy, he's got to go, right? And he's got to play, and you got to trust that he can do it. And Cooper clearly did because he moved them up and up that lineup and gave him a bigger role as the game went on, despite starting him on the third line. It's also a situation where, like, you know, you know, Braden points in for the long haul and, like, going to be a big part of that team moving forward. And he wants to go. And if he, if he, feels like he can go and he's not like a complete detriment and the liability for your team. You, you can't, you can't burn him like that. Like, you know, like you can't, you can't uh, make yourself a, a villain to Braden point, I guess. If anybody needs uh, that extra day off, I think uh, Tampa and point and, and I guess Colorado too, with Kadri and, and Cagliano, you know, the veteran kind of guys of the group. I, I guess Kadri skated ahead of the main group this morning, and Cogliano skated with them. Yesterday, so we'll too. Kadri skated we'll, yesterday, too. We'll see what happens with those moving forward. Um, but I'm excited. Pete, what is your cold stove pod uh, prediction for series and, uh, and length of series? Uh, I said abs and six at the beginning, and I'm going to stick with it. I, I think that Tampa is going to win game two. I think that they like they they're going to bounce back, and I think they're going to kind of punch them in the mouth a little bit in the way that they were punched uh, in the mouth in game one. Uh, Tampa's, I think Tampa's the inferior team, but I also think that they're a team that has a lot of gumption and a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, just they, they're a tough team and they're a team that just won't die. Uh, they're not going to die easily. Um, so I, I think that it's going to go six, maybe seven. Um, but you know, I think the Colorado is going to win out, but, um, I just think the Tampa's has too much respect to their name to go easily. Totally agree. NRD does your, I, what were you, you said avalanche in seven avalanche in five. Was oh, avalanche in five. That's right. I you agree. With, I'm sticking with it. I agree with Pete. I had said all along Tampa's going to take one in Colorado. I think Colorado is going to go back to Tampa and that home streak and that home front that Tampa's had all these years. Win both there. Win, win in five at Ball Arena. Oh, there you go. Pete, a couple more, uh, some rapid fire before we let you go here on Cold Stove Pod today. Uh, is there any part of you that wishes you were just in Brookline watching golf this week? Uh, no. I'm, uh, there's not a place in the world I'd rather be than, than covering the Stanley Cup final end to end. It's the first time that I've done it. And uh, I mean, there's a lot. Of, I, I did, co- it's my second Stanley Cup final because I did cover. Uh, in Boston and it just, it feels different um, because like Boston is my home and it was just like easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so to like be here on the road end to end after uh, you know, I, I, I it's no secret that I kind of like snuck my way into the media biz, just like <laughs> uh, just being like an asshole on Twitter and, and like just being a passionate hockey guy. So to parlay that and just like loving the sport into being able to be here is there's not a place in the world I'd rather be. Good deal. Good deal. That's fair. Um, next up boneless or bone in chicken wings. 
I don't know. If uh, my take sitting I think there's a place at the. I think there's a place at the table for both of them. Uh, okay. You know, I, I think that you know they both. It depends on the situation, and I don't think it also depends on like the wing. I think that I'd rather. I think there's more consistency in boneless, but there's a higher ceiling on bone in. It's a good take. Ooh, okay, higher ceiling. That that is interesting. L- higher floor for boneless, higher ceiling for bone in. That's that's fair. I still think so. I don't know if you got a chance to see Pete. Brett wrote an article. He is all in on the boneless wing train. He's all out on bone in. I think all be- out is fucking. No, that's a- I didn't say all out. You say- were all out. You were pretty strongly all out. Brett. I, just, I, I, I said think if it's you prefer bone in, you're wrong. That's it. I don't, I'm, I'm not out on them per se. I would say it's, it's wrong to say boneless is a wing. Like boneless is a tender. They're chicken like, nuggets with a high school diploma. Is how yeah, basically. I think that like, you know, if it's, it's, it's kind of the way that I feel about beer. Like I, I I'm, I'm not like a beer snob, but I do like like IPAs and, and like I'm a beer connoisseur of a bit, but like beer snobs that are like Bud Light's water or whatever. Like there's a place at the table for Bud Light. The situation is it kind of dictates like I'm not going to fucking be outside in a 90 degree day drinking heavy IPAs all day and then day drinking. I want lighter beer. And like, if I'm binge drinking, you have to drink Bud Light like or those light beers. So I think there's a place at the table for, for lower class, quote unquote, lower class things. And I think that like boneless is kind of would probably be like the Bud Light equivalent. Wow. I still think it's a work. I what still is think this is a work for you today? What is on the schedule for you today? A uh, day off in Denver. Yeah, first of uh, or second, I guess, of uh, two days off, which is fucking weird. I'm going to the Rockies game tonight, so Ooh. that that'll be fun. Thinking too, Pete. Thinking too. That's right. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> uh pete that's gonna do it for us today on cold stove thank you for hopping on before we let you go where can the folks find all of your content uh i my my full-time day job ballysports.com uh and then just on the twitter machine it's my name pete blackburn also follow me on the gram man like uh, i've been spamming people on the ram but you know if you want your hockey content you are the the rare uh you are the rare like c-list celebrity whose followers on Twitter, like 10 X their followers on Instagram. And it makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, like I, my face is, it's, it's sort of insulting. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm a good looking guy. Follow me so on the Gram. I was like, yeah, you're, you're a hot dude and you're, you're funny on Twitter and you're a good looking guy. Your Instagram should be right up there in the, in the six figures too. I don't know what's the, what the deal. Is. I don't, I, I, I'll be completely honest. I don't fucking understand Instagram. Like I, I don't know. <laughs> what to do there other than just like post pictures and people people i don't understand like people that grow on instagram it's crazy i don't know you how do you do it give me some do tips you have, blue, <laughs> you have a blue check on instagram too i do yeah oh wow i mean you are just you're cooking with gas over the there. one thing that i've noticed is like the biggest way to grow your following on instagram is to comment mm-hmm. and i don't do that enough like i just i comment on every sunday scary's instagram post just clout chasing yeah, I mean, like that's like it's it's. I feel like you have to be more shameless on Instagram than any other platform, where like you have to like you have to clout chase, like you said, you have to chase a following. And I don't like being shameless. And but like I figured out that I think that like I said, I just don't I don't understand it. I don't. 
But the one thing that I do understand is that like the easiest way to grow a following is to just comment, especially with the blue check. I've noticed that like you get, you show up in other people's feeds when you comment. So maybe I just have to do that more, I guess. Clout chasing is, is Pete's key to growing Instagram. I did it. I did it. I'm there with you. Pete, thank you for hopping on with us. NRD. Thank you for hopping on us with us as well. He's NHL rumors daily on Twitter. I am Brad Merriman at Schmerriman on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us at Cold Stove Pod on both of those platforms as well. Instagram's popping a little bit, so we'll uh, we got some we got some help on that going forward. So, Pete, thank you for hopping on. Enjoy the lovely Mile High City, and uh, looking forward to the rest of your content throughout the series. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. See you guys next week on Cold Stove Pod. That'll do it. Later.